Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, welcome to a Refugee Week special on the 30th episode uh, here. Uh, we want to discuss you know, some of the powerful films and series mm-hmm. that humanize the refugee experience. Uh, some of these include you know, um, Iran's Persepolis, uh, Syria's For Summer, uh, America's Immigration Nation, which is a documentary series. It's a non-fiction series. Uh, finally, we'll also be discussing one of my favorite films of uh, 2021, Quo Vadis Ada. Um, this is a bit of a cheat. You know, um, next month, we're going to do you know, some of our best films of the year so far. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to like, also include Quo Vadis Ada, but like, you know, there are like, so many great films this year. I thought I would like, just shove Quo Vadis Ada into this, uh, into this topic here because you know, it fits, right? Yeah, yeah it does. So, so why not, right? You know, and I thought it was you know important also to to recognize uh, Refugee Week in twenty twenty one. You know, as of twenty eighteen, you know, according to like the the latest reports from from the United Nations, right, almost seventy one million people worldwide have been forcibly displaced by you know persecution, uh, conflict, violence, or human rights violations, and and things of that sort. By the end of twenty eighteen, that's an incredible number of people, and we live in an age where uh, xenophobia. Is at at all time high, uh, yeah. at least for at, at least for when I've been alive, like, I've never seen this amount of vitriol and hatred towards people who are looking for help. You know, otherwise, uh, um, and and COVID has only exacerbated that that xenophobia. So yeah. it's important to recognize and empathize the plight of you know refugees or asylum seekers, so to speak. Uh, which is why storytelling is one of the best avenues, uh, not only in terms of education and entertainment. Uh, but also in terms of empathy. So that, yeah. that's why I wanted to talk about these four films here. Uh, I also, also would like to say that one of the films that we've already reviewed would actually have been a better fit here, um, mm. Citizen Kane, uh, which we, we, we put into our Valentine's Day podcast, uh, but also a really, really good refugee film set yeah. in the 1930s, uh, no, 1940s, and, and Produced in the 1940s, that was really good too. Are there any other like uh, refugee stories or refugee films that that you've seen uh, that you know maybe would fit this theme that we didn't manage to include due to time constraints? Well, nothing actually comes to mind. Just because I've been I've been watching um, everything this like last two weeks. Mm, so yeah, kind of like it's it's um, recency bias. <laughs> I can't really think of anything at the moment. Of course, uh, you know, there have been a lot of great uh, films made by Syrians for Syrians yeah. about, the Sy- about the Syrian conflict, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the White Helmets is, is a really good short film that uh, won the Academy Award. Oh, yeah. Uh, I picked For Summer because it was a feature. It was a more lengthy thing and a, mm-hmm. a, a, bit, a bit more different uh, documentary style. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there have been a lot over the years uh, and, and uh, you know, the plight of people all over the world. And these are just some of them, you know. Um, let's begin, though, by... One of the most popular ones, mostly because its graphic novel was so acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with Persepolis, which was, of course, based on an emotionally powerful, dramatically enthralling autobiographical graphic novel made by Marjan Sastrepi, right? Um, yeah. It's a simple black and white uh, graphic novel, but still very, very powerful, uh, very effective, very bold. It has been adapted into a film. 
And I think the film is equally as good, you know. Uh, it's based on Satrapi's own life, uh, pre- and post-revolutionary Iran, and then her move to Europe. Uh, the film traces Satrapi's growth from child to rebellious, uh, punk-loving teenager in Iran. Uh, and in the background is the growing tensions of the political climate in Iran, specifically in the 70s and the 80s, the Cultural Revolution, uh, with members of her liberal-leaning family detained, uh, some of them are executed, um, and also, you know, it plays out in the background of the disastrous Iran-Iraq war from that time period. Uh, but what I really loved about mm-hmm. Persepolis, you know, and, and about all of his films is that they are not, uh, the, the people of this conflict are not, you know, uh, delegated to abstract numbers uh, or st- statistics. Yeah. Uh, you, you get to actually see on the ground, real life, first-hand experiences. Uh, uh, Persepolis gets to do that in a very unique graphic novel way and then in an animated way um you know uh, w- what are your thoughts on persepolis it's been a while since you've seen it i think you've you've rewatched it recently you know yeah. um how has it grown on you um i i do remember like kind of vividly a couple of scenes from the first time i was watching it right and it was a uh, mm. it was very exciting to kind of like revisit that again you know because like many years has passed i think i watched it I don't know if I watched it in cinemas. I might have watched it in cinemas, um, but it's been a good, what, 14 years since then? You know, so a lot of those things kind of like stood stood out in memory um, in a visual way, right? Like some of the scenes with a lot of humor, uh, a little bit absurd, some uh, magical realism going on. And like those scenes, um, you know, kind of leapt out to me when I was just searching my memory for it. Uh, Mm. But now being older and kind of, having maybe a better understanding of the world uh, yeah. and having a better understanding of um, the Iranian revolution in general, right? Yes. Um, you know, in the context of, uh, you know, Arab Spring and all of that as well. Um, yes. It, yeah. Is, yeah. it has changed my understanding of how it's told, right? Mm. Like it's, there are a lot of like, thematically a lot of things that it um, looks at that I don't think I recognized in the first place, right? Mm, like it's, it's, um, I, I think this whole idea about like deeply ingrained um, family beliefs, right? Mm. Like who you are um, forms very much part of the, the the belief system of the people that are around you, right? Like and and of course, uh, Marjane's um, um, own kind of like belief system is something that we get to see grow uh, through her experiences along there. But also at the same time, the people who she interacts with. Like uh, the uh, the the punk guy in, in Vienna with his, his, yeah. his nihilism and all of that, like it's so interesting to see these things um, kind of of interact and engage and, and and be in conflict with each other and play out in day to day life, right? Like, and they are not just like these grand abstract uh, ideas or concepts, you know, that that take place in in like a philosophical um, theater. Um, yeah, and. Those things are things that stood out to me this time around a lot more mm. than I, I began. I mean, it's so easy, right? Because Persepolis is such a, a, a pretty film. It's such a beautiful film. Yes. Uh, the, the art style, it is immediately recognizable. Even yeah. for people who may not have read the graphic novel or even watched the film itself. Like, I think if you look at, at the poster, for example, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's something you've probably seen somewhere on the internet before, right? It is very, very popular. And it was very popular when it came out, especially. Um, so it's something immediately identifiable, but underneath all of that style, right, yeah. belies uh, a very personal and very intimate journey of one woman's coming of age. 
Um, yeah. And I think like that, that endears me a lot more what rewatching it after so many years. Uh, yeah. And just like having a better understanding of the context in which the story takes place um, does fill in a lot of the gaps in, in my memory uh, from when I watched it in 2007. Oh, definitely, you know. Uh, as you mentioned, the art style is so distinctive that I think a lot of my friends who have never seen the film or, or read a graphic novel immediately know the cover, right? It's yeah. such a cool It's such a cool cover. Yeah, it you is. Um, Storytelling-wise, it's also done uh, in a very good and very real way. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it's a, Persepolis is a lot of things, you know. It, it, it tells a unique history about the political shifts that happened in Iran from the 70s to the 90s. It's a powerful statement against the opponents of free speech and, mm-hmm. and expression. Um, it gives fascinating insight into the specific dangers that women face in both liberated and oppressed societies, you know. Yeah. Uh, and plus, it, it, it's all wrapped up in a moving coming-of-age tale uh, that is frequently funny and tragic uh, and, and told against a backdrop of strife and hardship that most coming-of-age tales don't have. Yeah. Um, but most importantly, I think at least for me, Persepolis is also the definitive movie of the immigrant experience and the unique joys and pains that come from living in two different worlds yeah. while belonging to none. Uh, you know, it's it's a really good look at that. You know, and and I, I also really like the episodic episodic nature of the film or, or the story. You know, it starts with Marjan's uh, childhood experience in Tehran in seventy eight. You know, mm-hmm. um, she is a a girl to educated parents who's like too young to understand why the Shah is being deposed, but yep. it, she wants to celebrate it, you know, uh, yep. and, and wants to join in anyway. Uh, and I, I get that, you know, like we, we all have been there. Uh, and the end of the Shah's rule comes as a, a, a welcome change for her progressive family and and the release release of her Marxist uncle, uh, Anush, <laughs> you know, from being a political prisoner. Uh, I think it, it raises the family's optimism for a brighter future for Iran, you know, but mm-hmm. this optimism doesn't last, you know, as you mentioned, the Arab Spring as well. It, la- um, it doesn't last as a nation, which yeah. kind of overwhelmingly embraced revolution just as quickly as it embraced a repressive Islamic government that forces Marjan and her mother and her grandmother into headdresses, the closure of universities as part of the repression of Western values. Um, most tragically, the imprisonment and eventual execution of Marjan's beloved uncle Anush, you know. Mm-hmm. And to top it all off, the nation of Iran descends into open warfare with Iraq, you know, so that, you know, missile fire becomes merely a part of Marjan's, you know, just daily landscape. It's, it's a norm for her, you know. It's a devastating loss of innocence for, for the lead yeah. character. Uh, but it doesn't crush the spirit, you know. She, she sneaks bootleg music, you know, the Bee Gees and Iron Maiden. Um, she wears <laughs> subversive clothes, clothing, openly challenges the propaganda of her teachers, much to her parents' chagrin, you know. Um, so to protect Marjan, right, who's a bit too precocious for her own good, you know, uh, her parents make a heartbreaking decision to send her away uh, to, to some family in Vienna. So it's at this juncture that I think Marjan's journey becomes the most intriguing and, with, and the most pertinent to our refugee theme, you know. She yeah. finds Vienna to be a much more liberating place than Iran and as a result she f- too finds herself that she is liberated you know like her, her enjoyment of simple pleasures like television supermarkets are humorous uh, but her brief dalliances into nihilist and hippie circles as you mentioned of her peers right mm-hmm. are, are refreshing excursions into normal adolescent behavior but it is in this period of her life where she runs up against the unique pain when you come of age in a place different from where you grew up, right? You know, yeah. Every act of maturing and growing into a responsible adult feels like a betrayal because it happens away from home. Like every embrace of the context you find yourself in now 
feels like you're abandoning the one where you came from. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 worse still for Marjan is is the sinking real, realization that no matter how much she tries to embrace Vienna, uh, Vienna will never truly embrace her. You know, her yeah. friends are mostly interested in the unique context that she grew up in, mm-hmm. and they pay little attention to her as an individual. You know, they they treat her like an exotic pet almost. You know, in addition, you know, her her dissatisfaction with life comes from a place of bourgeoisie privilege i feel mm, you know like yeah far the, the fact that she's far removed from actual oppression and suffering she the, the, the suffering that she knows she has grown up with you know and and she bumps up against racist view and people suspicious of her um her fumbling attempts at young love also you know ultimately caused her life in vienna to fall apart and she returns home defeated so mm-hmm. A really great look at the immigrant slash refugee experience here. Uh, the goods and the bad, the good and the bad of the oppressed society, and the good of the and the bad of the liberal society. Uh, very even-handed portrayal yeah. and very very authentic. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. What are some of your kind of like favorite uh, scenes from from the animation? Uh, at the time when I was, well, I mean. I, I read the graphic novel first. I didn't. I didn't read the animation. I didn't watch the animation until a lot later on. So I, I mm-hmm. read the graphic novel first in secondary school, I believe. And secondary school was the first my first uh, foray into music that is not pop. Mm. Uh, and I found myself being like not 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 influenced by Marjan, but also following a similar trajectory towards <laughs> embracing. Uh, punk and Iron Maiden and stuff yeah. like that, you yeah. know. So I found that to be very relatable, despite the fact that our circumstances are obviously very different. Uh, that, and that has stuck in my head all the time, you know, like her jacket, the mm-hmm. bit of a, a bit of a posiness, also, you know what I mean? Um, it's it's really great, <laughs> la, You know, so that, that, that that's the, that, those are the parts that are humorous and stick with me as relatable. Yeah, yeah, I I think similarly for me, I I think when she sings Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. uh, that that particular sequence of of events. Uh, you know, st- stick out in my mind as, as just some of the more like poignant moments, right? Um, for her to be in this place and like she's trying to put her life back together now that she's yeah. in Iran and go back to classes and all of that. Um, mm. you know, before she gets together with Reza and all of that. Uh, mm. like like that feels like definitive for me that she finds solace as someone with no, no voice. Uh, in both her home country or in her in her adopted place of living in Vienna, yeah. um, you know how she finds the the kind of like solace and identity within the music itself, which is fascinating to me. Mm, exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of kids feel that way. Like they find their solace and identity in music. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I I actually really really like that they decided to do the they do the film animation style because I think like it adds more to the story than if it would have been done in live action. Yeah. I, uh, again, it is so visually identifiable, right? Like, it's iconic yeah. in and of itself. For them to have done live action, I feel would have been a huge challenge just mm. to capture some of the more whimsical uh, elements of it, right? Like, yeah. no doubt, I'm, I'm sure they would have put together, like, a solid cast and then a solid, you know, kind mm. of script and all of that, but I do. I feel like it wouldn't have been in the same vein. Yeah. Um. You know, as as what the graphic novel was trying to achieve. Um. Mm-hmm. But I mean, of course, that that film doesn't exist, and so we will never know. Uh, yeah. But all in all, like I, I think it was good. There's just something very stark about black and white animation that that 
it looks so simple, but at the same time, like it's more than sufficient to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I I'm glad that they 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 chose to stick to that. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I actually also think that the animation um de-emphasizes her her racial characteristics. It allows her universality, universality, universality. Ah, fuck, I can't say it. Universality. Universality. <laughs> anyway, I got I'm I. You know what I mean. I got yeah. stuck on that word. Yeah. yeah, like it, it allows that to shine through because, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, she, she's just she looks like any other character. She's just a human being, you know. Like you mm-hmm. don't see her through a racial lens, you know, which is also Im- important. You know? and, and one of the most like creative avenues is the honesty of Marjan's storytelling, you know, because it allows us to see Marjan the person. Like she's neither sage nor sinner. She's not perfect. She's human and frail. Uh, and it goes extremely personal in the nature of the story. That it's so personal that it makes it universal, you know. Um, I think like mm-hmm. unlike most coming of age stories that we see in Hollywood, for example, I think Marjan's story is compelling because it does come out of true strife and true hardship, and and not the sort of manufactured mm-hmm. angst that we occupy in our heads, you know. Uh, yeah. And and she she faces this impossible task of wanting to not lose who she was while allowing herself to grow into the person she needs to be. Um, really great film, and and those are the things that that sticks with me, you know. Um, the the grandmother's advice, you know, never forget who you are or where you come from uh, is told in such a way that, that it reminds us to not abandon her heritage or yeah. reject her past. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, um, while at the same time also showcasing like the, the West has its values, but it also has stuff that's not so good, you know. Uh, I think, yeah, that's what makes it so compelling as a character study, mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a story about, you know, an important part of uh, Iranian history. Uh, and as a and as a refugee experience, you know, uh, really really great. Um, I think a lot of the other films that we're going to be talking about, maybe because of its live action nature, may feel a bit too painful, or a bit too real, or a bit too just gruesome. Yeah. To, to stand, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, and this film Persepolis, or, or if you want to read a graphic novel as well, which is very good, uh, gives it a bit of a distance and a, this artistic whimsy that allows you to. Take in the themes and the messages and yeah. the empathy without being so defeated morally and as a human being, like to think, you know, like yeah. I mean, the, the next film we're about to talk about is painful to the max, you know. So like yeah. this one has has a bit of a barrier there that that may help you that may help it go down better. Yeah, for sure. Uh, of the four films, like this definitely has the is the most hopeful. Yeah. Uh, in in terms of what. You know the story that's portrayed, and, and in terms of like the fact that she has a future, right? Like that's something that we we know. Um, mm. You know, because she 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 grew up and she she had time to write the the graphic novel, right? Yep. Um, whereas we can't really say the same for the rest of them. Mm, uh, exactly. Also, did you know? Uh, this is yeah. also because like uh, I've I've only watched the French version, but in the English mm. version, Uncle Anoush is voiced by Iggy Pop. I did. I, I I read that in the credits, but I've not seen the I've not seen the English version. Either. Neither have I. But somehow that feels very fitting. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What what a great casting choice. Good good job. I I now I feel like watching the English version because yeah. because of Iggy Pop. Yeah, Iggy Pop, and I think like Sean Penn is the father or something. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the cast for the English version is is quite stacked, surprisingly. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious because I've never watched the English version, but you know to see Iggy Pop play Uncle Anu, sure. Yeah, sure, right, you know. Uh, moving on from Persepolis, which was our main topic, uh, let's talk about Syrian film For Summer. Uh, it is a non-fiction documentary. Um, For Summer is kind of both an intimate 
and uh, epic is the right is the wrong word um harrowing journey you know into the female yeah. experience of war it is sort of a love letter from a young mother to her daughter uh, mm-hmm. and the film tells the story of Wa'at al-Khatib's uh, life through five years of the uprising in Aleppo, Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, you watch her fall in love, she gets married, she gives birth to a little girl named Sama. All the while, cataclysm and conflict is all around her, you know. Um, the recent Syrian civil war is, is undoubtedly, in, in my lifetime, probably the most horrific thing that, that, that has happened like, in, in terms of this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she documents it all. Uh, she like what just the ca- her, her she uses a camera basically yeah. uh, and, and captures incredible stories of of loss and laughter and survival as you know what wrestles with an impossible choice whether or not to flee the city to protect her daughter's life <laughs> when leaving means abandoning the struggle for freedom which she has already sacrificed so much for yeah. you know this is an unusual refugee story in a sense because Wa'at does not want to leave she wants to fight for Syria she wa- she believes in her country and she wants to stay back and fight ISIS but she's so devoted in that but the birth of her daughter changes her changes her perceptions right you know now she's living for someone else too and that that spurs a decision to to become a refugee and move on you know um it's almost uh a it's almost a journal it's almost a, a video diary yeah. kind of kind of film right you know almost like a vlog that you watch on youtube of just this one woman living daily in the most hellish of circumstances just capturing the most raw and visceral and you know unvarnished um stuff hospitals being bombed you know children dying uh her own life that kind of thing you know um it's so genetically unvarnished that mm-hmm. it's hard to separate yourself from the plight of what yeah and feel for her you know um i think this is your first time watching like something this harrowingly intimate like documentary style mm-hmm. um like what, what what do you think about for summer uh well it 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 was tough um, it, yeah. it was really tough to kind of get through it. Uh, it's been it's been, a, it's been a tough two weeks. Um, yeah, is <laughs> that one go? Um, I imagine, yeah. But I think out of all of them, like for summer, for sure, is the most. It it felt the most heartbreaking for me. There were just moments in time where I had to just put it on pause. Um, mm-hmm. and 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 take a moment to just kind of collect myself. Uh, it has, it it has the nostalgia of, you know, one of those home family videos from back in the 90s right where mm-hmm. you know your parents are trying to document something for you like as you grow up right because like that's yes, really yeah. the only way to kind of do that right um mixed with the immediacy of the social media age right mm-hmm. the fact that um she has available to her a recording device to document whatever it is uh, mm. that she is experiencing in that particular moment brings a kind of power um and, and again uh, like a power and immediacy to um you know the footage and, and into the film itself mm. uh and that is is that is a surprisingly potent combination right mm. um but on the one hand you know like the intention to preserve something for your child uh you know yeah. as a beautiful kind of love letter uh, video essay yeah uh, if you may um coupled with that kind of like on the fly at every moment uh the internet today kind of social media thing but for 
you know, a, a, a more permanent um, reason and a more permanent message than, you know, your TikTok or your Instagram live stories um, yes. that, you know, that we are fed today it is very, very powerful and extremely difficult to... Um, difficult to to absorb all at once i would say mm. right mm-hmm. um sure my attention span isn't what it used to be mm-hmm. uh but at the same time like there's just so much because it's so dense at any given point in time right like whether it is you know um i i think what stands out to me in particular is that every time you know a, 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 a air raid happens or a bombing happens and and she's in the midst of it and she's like um you know, talking to these kids who have just run in from from out of the street and all of that. Like, there is so much being captured at a given point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, none of them are trained actors. None of it are the sort. It is real and as raw and as visceral as it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, but you as an audience have to take the time. Uh, and, and in that moment, right, like, given how um, it, it's framed and how you are feeling just witnessing some of the 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 horrendous things that have happened to these people, um, uh, experiencing that in the same moment that they are, you know, uh, it is it's not, you know, uh, it's not a retelling, it's not a flashback or anything of the sort. Yeah, and there's so much there to kind of unpack that mm-hmm. this makes, um, it 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 belies the the runtime, right? Like it's only a hundred minutes, I believe. Uh, but mm-hmm. there is so much in this, um on so many levels that it took me a while. Like, I needed like, a good couple of days to kind of like recover after watching mm-hmm. For Summer. You know, it was on my mind a lot. A lot of the scenes were on my mind a lot. Um, yeah. Before I could, you know, um, like, like go on and watch something else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. it is, it is a uniquely, it, it is a uniquely prescient work of art. Mm. that I don't think I've seen in any other documentary mm. um, because it touches on so many facets of human kind and human being in just yes. this one film. Yeah, specifically of this time period. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a bit, you know, of how, like, you know, the documentation of uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, like, the, makes it so much more intensely personal, you know, like... The, the videos of George Floyd or of that, you know, woman who got shot in a car, you know, stuff like that, you know. It just makes a big difference when there's a, the immediacy and urgency of it like, is different, you know. When you have uh, access to uh, social media and, and, store, and, and cameras, you know, every, everyone can do this, right, you know. Yeah. I, I think that the thing that most strikes me about For Summer is when it begins, you know, Wa'at is like so normal, mm-hmm. you know, like she is just this optimistic 26-year-old student like that just has a cell phone and is just documenting things and she's earning a business degree, you know. And then like she's so wrapped up in this, uh, her country's, you know, movement, riding the glory of the Arab Spring, the the rising protests against the dictatorship of uh, Bashar al-Assad. Uh, and then, you know, her hope sort of slowly gives way to chaos, the destruction and, and the war crimes against humanity, you know, committed by the regime and its allies, you know. And then her options start to thin out mm-hmm. and the revolution seems like such a distant fantasy. Uh, and yet, like, unlike many, you know, what like decides to stay behind and, and fight for a better future that she believes in, you know, it's such a devastating scrapbook and a confessional journal of sorts, you know, and yeah. also a personal cinematic endeavor that is 
very different from like other documentaries like Cry from Syria, for example, yeah. which is very good, but also like a bit abstract and more of a historical crash course. Lah. You know, like what ultimately assembles her film here for her baby daughter, Sama, to explain why they decided to stay behind. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, of course, a what-if fear baked into the pursuit to capture everything, right? This yeah. way, she'd at least have something for her daughter in case she or her husband, Hamza, uh, who is a medic and, and fellow freedom fighter, um, in, in case they are abruptly killed when they, you know, and, and some of the shots that she captures, you know, like, you know, they are basically like bunkering down in, in a hospital, right? You know, and hospitals are being bombed, you know, uh, by ISIS or by uh, Russian fighters, you know. It's difficult to watch, but it's pieced together in such, you know, a great way, especially, you know, the thoughtful flashbacks mm-hmm. uh, that are accompanied by what's like exhausted, broken voiceover. It has, yeah. you know, everything. It has like the, the happy moments, like they're disarming the rosy wedding mm. uh, against the, the backdrop of a crumbling city, the birth of their children, countless near-death experiences, you know, and, and many of them of the near-death experiences are so impossible to watch without tears because they're so, such close calls, you know. Um, her footage is so, you are yeah. there, so crushingly rich in detail that you only forget you're watching someone else's horror when random people break yeah. the fourth wall, right? You know, in like, I think in, in one, the, the most unforgettable scene in the film is a mother who's recently lost a child screams at the camera, right? Yeah. Wondering why she's being filmed in such a moment of unspeakable tragedy. And, and Wa'at doesn't quite respond, at least not in the footage that we see. Like, she yeah. just knows that there are events that will help, that will help tell a story one day. To her daughter and to anyone willing to listen, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's incredible, harrowing, also very difficult to watch, but an important watch also. Like if you want to understand the personal and human cost of the Syrian conflict, and not just in you know abstract statistical details. Mm, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I I think it's just a testament to arts, who mm. she is as a person and, and the character and and her character, right? Like, um, you don't. It is. It's not often that you can tell a story out of such great personal and national tragedy, yeah. Um, in a manner that is so powerful, right? Like mm. so many times, like whether or not we believe ourselves to be storytellers, you know, we're far removed from anything, um, of the sort. Um, the stories mm. take place in the theater of the mind, you know, and and we record it behind the safety of our you you know our screens. But like to have been there. And to have experienced it, and mm-hmm. to again, like I'm, I'm constantly reminded for the fact that this is this was made for for Sama. This made for her daughter, right? And yep. it will continue yep. to effectively be that for all time, while at the mm-hmm. same time being perhaps one of the best feature documentaries, and most powerful and meaningful um, feature documentaries that I have ever seen. Oh yes, yes, hundred percent. You know, like when it when it came out, uh, the, the year that it came out in twenty eighteen, I believe. You know, it was one of the most powerful films I saw that year. Uh, but a film that I would never rewatch. It's not one of those kind of things. Yeah. But but I'm I'm glad that I that I saw it. Uh, um, you can actually watch For Summer on on the Projector Plus if you're subscribed. You don't have to subscribe to it, actually. It's a VOD platform, so mm-hmm. yeah, you can you can catch it there. Oh, speaking of which, I have a recent uh, article on Potwire about all the streaming services in Singapore yep. that you that you can uh, check out. Uh, the Projector Plus is on there as well as a lot of other places. I myself have learned a lot of new things about <laughs> what is available in Singapore uh, while doing research for this. Yep. Uh, and if you want to catch that, you can find it on potwire.com or you, I've also posted a link on our Facebook page so you can 
check it there. Yeah. There's so much available in Singapore that, that I thought that was not available, but it is somewhere here. Like, there is a number. You know, <laughs> like, like if Hulu is not available, Disney Plus has it, you know, for example. There's so much that I learned. And then, you know, like, I, I, it's, it's just another cable wall. Like. We're just spending more money on streaming platforms now. Like. We thought like we, we thought we're, we're cordless. We thought we're going to save money with Netflix. No, man. Yeah. We're just like burdened with 100 new channels. No. With an infinite yeah. amount of content. Like. Yeah. Um, for yeah. summer can be so fun. If you're tired class. of Netflix. Yeah. If you're tired of Netflix, of course, there's a lot of other great options, you know. Uh, yeah. So you can watch this on Projector Plus or uh, a cool uh, platform called I Wonder that I discovered, which uh. is exclusively dedicated to documentarians. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let me just so bookmark that. I Wonder, yeah. Uh, it, it only has um, documentarians from Asia, I believe. Uh, okay. So... Yeah, very good resource if you want if you're a, a fiend for nonfiction, uh, which for summer is. Um, speaking of nonfiction, um, I've recently complained a lot about Netflix nonfiction about how mm. at least the most popular Netflix nonfiction is like trashy <laughs> tabloidy paparazzi garbage like Tiger King or like a personal propaganda series like The Last Dance. Um, you know. Uh, or stuff like that, like stuff that like exploits people, or it's just like, or or it's just like factually inaccurate, like like a uh, seaspiracy. Yeah, was that what it was called? Yeah. Okay. First of all, right, seaspiracy should have been called conspiracy. That is that is on the top, the surface level. It's like <laughs> I thought, why did you not call this conspiracy? Like spell it with an S E E at the back, right? That that already was like, mm, you are lacking something. <laughs> and yeah. then I watched it. It's like fuck it. No, it is so it's so bad. Yeah, but that being said, that doesn't mean that Netflix lacks good nonfiction. Yeah. People are just not watching it because it's not sexy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite recent nonfiction series or docu-series to come out on Netflix is a six-part documentary series called Immigration Nation. Uh, Immigration Nation is about America's uh, 2019 and 2020 uh, immigration system. Yeah. It is directed by uh, Christina Clusau. Uh, and Sean Swatch, and it, it features candid interviews with agents of ICE, uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, Border Patrol, and Homeland Security Investigations, uh, alongside you know, detainees, uh, as well as footage of raids and the detention centers. This is to give you a look at how cold and repressive and horrific Trump's immigration policy was, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, having seen at least half, I think you saw the first three episodes of yeah. uh, Immigration Nation, um, what is your opinion on this documentation on one of the worst aspects of the Trump presidency? Uh, it is It is definitely not an easy watch. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not done with it yet, but already, I mean, like, just the first episode alone is enough to kind of give you an idea of what, what you're dealing with, right? Kind of diving into Immigrant Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an easy watch, but it is incredibly important. Like, yeah. so much of the time we get, uh, we're, we're stuck in this place where, you know, our news is fed to us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether, you know, you actually actively follow news sites or, you know, you're getting it on Facebook or Twitter or all your strange conspiracy WhatsApp groups. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's it's very easy to think that what you are are reading or what you're watching, right, at any given point in time, is the end all and be all of the situation that's there. I'm yeah. not saying the immigrant nation has like all the answers to this particular uh, crisis. But it goes, 
it goes deep. Like. He has first-hand access to a lot of things, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I think it's very important to kind of be able to see the stories behind the news, right? Mm. Uh, and that, in a lot of ways, not only deepens your understanding about what exactly has transpired or is going on, for that mm. matter. Like it, I, I think it takes a very good kind of like uh, objectively distanced view as to yeah. the situation um, uh, going on in, in the United States uh, when it came to immigration. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to see, you know, the ICE agents and, and the detainees and all of that, being able to hear their stories without ever... I, I think as far as it is possible for a, a director or an editor or, or, or the production company to... to to interfere with what is being told, right? Like a lot of the time, that's the problem with documentaries is that, you know, you can never fully remove the the eye of the director from it mm-hmm. um, and their choices. But I think they've done a fairly good job being trying to be as, as distant and objective as possible. There's no like, you know, um, there's no narrator that you kind of like... Uh, focus on who who gives you the explanation you know for everything that's going on and so on that it's mostly just the footage itself and text right and the yeah. text sticks to the facts right like on this day this happened on this this policy was put into place these are the mm-hmm. numbers these are the numbers these are the numbers uh yeah. and they let that inform you instead of you know the much easier way of like you know mm-hmm. um morgan freeman voiceover telling you what yeah. this, what, what's actually going on and then um, they show you the human consequences, you know, by in- interviewing both the law enforcement and the refugees and detainees. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think that I think that's really important um, yeah. for you to kind of see that, and you will start to notice that from people's own mouths, right? Uh, yeah. From where they are situated in this kind of like furrow of uh, chaos and, and kind of like madness, really, uh, mm-hmm. based off of 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 you know, uh, one man's desire for power and capitalizing on people's fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, hear from their own mouths how they truly feel. Uh, yep. And I think especially for the ICE agents, uh, how they truly feel being stuck in a system that they don't necessarily believe in or have come to believe in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and But they don't, they see themselves as not having a choice, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think like, very very early on in the first episode itself, um, one of the the political commentators saying that like it's it's incredible how um, like these giant kind of systems of, yeah. of terror are so far removed from the people. Yeah, it's it's hidden in cogs of bureaucracy. You know, you yeah. think that you're not involved, but you are. You're just like a cog in the bureaucracy, but then you get to shift blame. It's the heartlessness of that system. Yeah, you know? right. Like, yeah. and and I mean, like again, right. That's what that's that's the same kind of story that we hear in Nazi Germany. You know, I was yeah. just following orders and all of that, and you hear a lot of that being echoed. But like the difference is at this time that you see these people, right? Mm. You see their faces, you hear their voices when. They, and, and and kind of the answers to the questions that are posed to them and by all means like it, it feels like the God's honest truth in their opinion right when they're sharing these things those yep. things are heartfelt and it is mind-blowing right mm. to try and marry those two things together there is a travesty that is taking place uh, as far as ICE is concerned and immigration is concerned in the United States but the people mm-hmm. behind it aren't evil people necessarily 
right? Yeah. But it is used to evil ends and like trying to wrap your head around that is difficult. It is mm. immensely challenging to do so. And all of that is just in the first episode. Uh, yeah. You know, much less, you know, going on to talk about like the Department of Justice and, and, and you know, the power of the vote and all of that. Uh, mm. Like there is so much to dive into here that it does feel a tad overwhelming. Yes, um, yeah. Uh, but it makes for a great watch. Like, it is a solid TV uh, mm. at the same time, right? Which, which is kind of like a rabbit hole that uh, if, if you are curious and you don't mind spending a good... I think it's like six hours in total, right? Like, it's an Six hour, hours, yeah. Yeah, six hours in total. Like, you don't mind diving in and like kind of broadening your understanding of what exactly is mm-hmm. going on and what all these different variables and intersections of things that, that created this this monstrosity of a, of a situation, mm-hmm. um, then, then Immigration Nation is, is a great watch. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I think to many non-Americans, the, the phrase or the hashtag abolish ICE, right, is, is one of those rallying cries that made no sense to me because I didn't yeah. understand the situation. Yeah. Um, but I think Immigration Nation is such a comprehensive view of America's immigration policy under the Trump administration, yeah, uh, that it is so informative and and searing, and and you're going to understand all too well why people are calling for uh, the abol- um, to to abolish ICE. You know, I think like you know the the filmmakers are so embedded within they 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 got first hand access embedded within ICE for two mm-hmm. and a half years early in the Trump administration. You yep. know, they they filmed agents during a massive sweep through American cities as they look for thousands of undocumented immigrants and then they lock them up. Um, they follow refugee families as well who were separated at the border under an over-the-top kind of Trump decree. Uh, they observed bureaucrats, judges, politicians, lawyers uh, moving undocumented in- individuals through deportation proceedings so prolifically that you know that you know back in the day, President Obama was called deported in chief, in chief right? You know, yeah. he used to deport so many people but uh, you know, it's ICE just took it to a level that is unimaginable. Like this deep access and, and the compelling narrative that the filmmakers weave out of their footage makes Immigration Nation one of the most important Netflix documentaries about American government policy since Eva DuVernay's 13th. You know? mm. um, even if it doesn't convince you that ICE should be abolished, I guarantee that you'll be unsettled by the agency's response, you know, like, for example, when a new sheriff takes over the demands of, of the country to be cleared of uh, undocumented immigrants on a scale that's never been seen before or careless agents uh, just, quote-unquote, doing their jobs, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's true that the, the filmmakers follow several families around. Uh, they, they, they also, you know, on the flip side, they also follow the, not just the law enforcement and the lawyers and the politicians and the judges, I mean, they also follow the, the immigrants, you know. There is one, I don't know whether you've gotten to this, there's one elderly asylum seeker uh, who is detained for fleeing gang violence. I think she's from uh, Mexico. Um, mm. Her entire family uh, murdered by a, the cartel. Yeah. Uh, well, a cartel, I don't know which cartel. But like her entire family has been murdered and she be, she's been stuck in detention for, for four years. Yeah. Uh, it's horrific, you know. And in the end, she has, she is forced to go back. It's... You know, that's that's clear-cut asylum seeker, you know, like yeah. that's a refugee right there. Then, you know, you had, there's a story of a former cop in El Salvador who actually worked with the NYPD. He was an undercover, undercover agent for them mm-hmm. who worked with the NYPD to bust El Salvadoran gangs in New York. 
once the gangs in El Salvador found out, he feared for his life and fled to America. Yeah. And he was deported anyway. And then there are the stories of war veterans, people who, people who served the US military in Iraq, in Afghanistan, stripped of their immigration status. It's insane. And then we haven't even got to the parents separated from their underage children, uh, you know, like kids sobbing with chains wrapped around them, you know, like in, in cages, you know. There's a, the, the, a teenager deported to Mexico after spending most of his life in the US because of a traffic violation. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these quote-unquote collaterals uh, that, that picked up while, while ICE officers were, were looking for another target. Yeah. You know, they, they go to houses, they want to find some people and then they, they find a bunch of other undocumented immigrants. They're all rounded up for being at the wrong place at the wrong time because they add to the agency's numbers, you know. Um, such a yeah. deep first-hand look at the carelessness of this particular policy and this bureaucracy, you know. And we haven't even gotten to the immigration courts. Like, I, I, I did not know this, but you'll be surprised to learn that the, the criminal justice system mm-hmm. and the immigration system under Trump, they are not the same. Like, yeah. the immigration courts is not court, you know. It's not under Department of Justice it's under the Department of Homeland Security, mm-hmm. which means that they don't have to adhere to civil rights and things like that. You know, uh, the the Trump forces production quotas uh, in terms of both arrest and deportations onto judges. You know, so they only get to keep their jobs or they only get raises or bonuses if they deport a specific number of people. Yeah, horrific. You know, yeah, uh, it's 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 one of the most uh, Kafka esque things that I've seen uh, in in what I would call like dystopian America, which was basically, you know, the, the, the Trump era. Yeah. 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 A- any of the things that you've seen so far from Immigration Nation, at least uh, some of the stories that have stuck out to you? Uh, I-, I think definitely anything that has to do with like the kids, right? That, that, yeah. that was really quite um, difficult, you know. Um, I-, I can't remember his name, but the one particular father who has like a three-year-old kid, yeah, you know, yeah. and he's just standing there in 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 this lineup against the wall in chains, and he's just like, mm-hmm. you know, talking about his child and all of that, and 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 mm-hmm. you know, like the the my personal kind of opinions on on the immigration issue aside, right? I don't live in America; I'm not part of the system there. Yeah. Uh, aside, you know, like there's there's just so much pain involved in in that particular situation, like the. Immigration into America is the American dream, you know, mm. uh, and it, it should exist for all. And um, I, I think back about this whole idea of um, did you did you catch Unsleeping City? Uh, no, I've not. What's that about? Uh, Unsleeping City is the uh, the Dimension Twenty New York uh, campaign. Oh yes, had. yes, okay. Yeah, okay. so like a big part of that is talking about like the American dream and how a big part of that is is the immigration story, like with no immigrants there is no american dream you know and yeah it's 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 what's on um the statue of liberty like give me your give me your scared right. your tired your hard messes right mm-hmm. yeah exactly so yeah. like you know like it, it makes me think back to just kind of like the the fact that in a different era you know um under different circumstances that's exactly who the the people who are coming in right like they're exactly mm. the, these people you are deporting they just want a better mm. life for their family uh, yeah. you know, and like it it's it's heartrending to see that and even more heartrending mm-hmm. to see the things that these children and mm. babies are are subjected to because yeah. someone made 
a policy to appease his voter base. Mm-hmm. And then someone down the line decided that, yeah, we should just like separate them. And no one actually cares for the fact that these people are human with names and faces and families and loved ones and yeah. stories and not numbers. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah. And, and I think that therein lies the real, the real tragedy. The mm. fact that all these people, all these, you know, these, this large number of human beings have been reduced to numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, is the, where the real tragedy of the story lies at. Oh, definitely, you know. Um, one of the things that sticks out to me is that ICE, like most of the ICE officers featured in Immigration Nation at least, are, are actually people of colour yeah. and women, you know. Yeah. Like the, the filmmakers, like, like I think ICE seems to have gone out of their way to make it appear that ICE themselves, the people, are culturally diverse, perhaps even more diverse than the other agencies around, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is... A bit of a there's a bit of the cognitive dissonance that you know yeah. some of the Latino ice officers when they're talking. Yeah. Uh, that, that is very startling, you know. Mm-hmm. Um there's also, you know, like like as you mentioned in the beginning, the bureaucracy of America. Like there's that quote, right, from the immigration lawyer that said, um, the brilliance of any bureaucratic system whose mm-hmm. net results is fear and trauma is that it's big enough to break it down in such a way that everyone just thinks that they're only moving papers or only doing a little piece. Yeah. It's a very perceptive insight, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and only a very small number of people at the top design the system uh, in, in such a way that like an incredible amount of terror and trauma result. But most people in the nuts and bolts are completely divorced from that. It's incredible, you yeah. know. Um, I think in six episodes, Immigration Nation illustrates how seemingly disparate elements of the US immigration policy interlink to create the overall ICE system it's a complicated thing that's why a lot of people haven't been able to get to the bottom of it but i think like this documentary as it captures you know ice ramping up its operations in response to trump's election it incisively explores how trump's rhetoric translates into knots and bolts yeah. policy like the, the logistics of it you know and 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 that's one of the the, the brilliance of this documentary yeah 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 it is it is it is i think it's incredibly telling mm. that so much of the slowly unfolding horror is heard from the ICE officers itself in this very strange distant way, right? Whether or not it's like uh, a a detainee asking one of the the, I I believe he's Latino uh, officers like, were you born here? Right? And he says that that doesn't matter now. That doesn't matter anymore. You know? Yeah. uh, But it it does, you know? Yeah, Yeah. Exactly. You know, and and yeah, his, it is the way in which he responds that is so telling, mm-hmm. or even um, I I believe it's Judy who we meet in, like like very early on, an mm-hmm. episode where she talks about oh yeah you know you're a human being you get affected by it in the beginning but you need to take your your emotions out of it and all of that, like mm-hmm. it is so incredibly telling of of like especially the people on the ground I think especially these particular officers, um, yeah. they struggle with what they are doing. Right, somewhere inside, it sounds like they know exactly what what they're doing, mm. and as we go higher up the ladder, it becomes mm. more, you know, um, more official, more political. Uh, mm. you know, all the all the lingo comes in, all the justification comes in, and all mm. of that, and it's 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 kind of crazy to see how all of that works. Um, yeah. you know, the little little things that we kind of tell ourselves that oh, you know, I need to, you know, I'm paid well, I want to you know, make sure that I keep my family supplied mm. uh, with with the life that they're living and all of that and I'll, I'll do these things for that, right? Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it it's kind of nuts to be able to see that uh, on screen for sure. Yeah, right. yeah. And then you couple that with just how well researched and and, and planned out the documentary mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. It is without actually saying it is a very devastating um, look at the whole kind of like shebang uh, yeah. under the Trump administration. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, like, in, in conclusion, I think, like, it has a great focus on both the policy and the intricacies of it alongside the immigrants, you know, their own heartaches and the structural brutality of the system, you know. And yep. I think Immigration Nation very simply asks, you know, don't these people deserve our empathy? Mm-hmm. It's a staggeringly simple question that should have an obvious answer. Yeah. But I, in under the Trump administration, it wasn't so easy. Um, It's... Mind-boggling, uh, It's it's a uh, it's well worth a watch, particularly because you know a lot of these policies have not been rolled back by Biden as promised. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I I I know it's very difficult for Biden to do this uh, because you know, like it's he doesn't he he doesn't have you know all the entire Congress and stuff like that. Um, yeah, you know, but uh, what you gonna do, like, like it's it's terrible. Uh, like um, uh, the more we learn about America, the more we learn that you know the American dream was this absurd piece of propaganda that a lot of people believed for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just isn't true. Lah, because, you know, I mean, to be honest, like if you go back to the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, the, the Italians and the Irish were treated much in the same way as the Mexicans and El Salvadorans were, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it just ha- it's just never been a country for immigrants by immigrants, despite the fact that the original white people are clearly immigrants. Lah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh oh well. Uh, moving on. You know, any concluding thoughts before we move on to our final? Film? No, no. Uh, I am. I, I don't know if I'm looking forward to finishing this. Yeah. Uh, but it is definitely compelling enough for me to to you know stick it around for another three hours. Uh, but I'm mm. not sure if looking forward to it is the exact operative word that I would be using. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, a, a lot of these films are and and series are not enjoyable shall we say but they are important and urgent watches particularly yeah. because you know this is also refugee week and you should be educated about stuff like this mm-hmm. uh, our final topic is one of my favorite films of this year uh, it takes place in bosnia on july the 11th of 1995 uh, it follows a character named ida who is the translator for the united nations in the small town of uh, srebrenica um Ada is actually a real life translator. Like that, this is the story of a real translator when this happened to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the character of Ida is loosely, very lightly fictionalized, but the story is basically the same. You know, um, it follows. You know what happens when the Serbian army takes over the small town, and her family, the translator's family, is among the thousands of citizens looking for shelter in the United Nations camp. Um, so she's a UN translator, right? So she's an insider to the negotiations. So Ada has like access to crucial information that she needs to interpret, as well as you know maybe perhaps she can rescue her family from certain death. Um, cool Vedis Ada, one of the best films of twenty twenty one, and also like all these other films and series, harrowing depiction of a very very real genocide that happened in Bosnia in the mid nineties. You know, yeah. Um, and it is not just painful to watch, but also weirdly to say, quite a thrilling, high wire, ticking time bomb kind of drama. You know, mm-hmm. like there, there is a there's a ticking clock tension to it, uh, and it immerses you into this devastating humanism while also managing to be a thriller. Um, it's it's great. 
I, I enjoyed nearly every aspect of Covadis Ada. Uh, and, and it is it remains one of my favorite films of 2021. Um, what do you think about this uh this portrait of the boss uh, this massacre of the Bosnian Muslims in the 90s? Oh man. Um I, I was incredibly invested with with yeah. Ada's story, right? Like the kind of struggle that she goes through. Like it is it she is the central focus of the entire story. Uh, mm-hmm. And the way in which you follow her, quite literally, uh, yeah. there's rarely a scene without her. Um, yeah. The way that you follow her and you see her struggles as a mother, as mm-hmm. as a translator, because it's her job, as mm-hmm. a member of this community, right? Um, uh, it is, it is, it is fraught with with. Uh, anxiety and, and nervousness and powerlessness and this yeah. this persistent refusal to give up right she would try any means mm. possible um and at moments in time like any means possible you know um uh, at the expense of anybody else really yeah uh, to to save her family or to keep her family together because deep down inside she knows what is about to happen Right, yeah. there's an instinct that tells her that this is going to become, you know, uh, absolute um, shit show. Blood for, buff. Yeah, bloodbath for yeah. everybody involved, right? Yeah. Uh, and to follow her that way, right, in such a close manner, you know, like even some the camera work so much of the time, like it's a lot of like close ups of of faces and and, and, and dialogue when people are talking. Mm-hmm. Um, never lets up. It never lets up, and you can't help but feel what she is feeling, right? Like, her, her performance, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her surname. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, the, the actress who plays uh, is absolutely phenomenal in yep. just, like, uh, the way that she resonates with the the emotion of that particular moment that she finds herself swept up in is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And then on top of that, like, right, being able to tell um, the story around uh, the, the context around uh, what's happening uh, mm-hmm. in such a very raw way, right? Like, mm. nothing is played up. There's no, you know, explosions for the sake of it. There's no, like, you know, gunfire for the sake of it and all of that. Like, uh, outside of the tanks rolling in at the beginning of the movie, right? You don't yeah. see the actual um, theater of war. Right, mm. like it is all. It all takes place in these negotiatings and these arguments and these banter and 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 con- constellations. Like so much of it takes place in these intimate uh, mm-hmm. or I- and important like moments of human interaction. Right, mm-hmm. that sometimes belies the fact that uh, so much of war takes place in those moments as well. Mm. Um, you know whether it's negotiating with the general, whether it's you know um, arguing with her family about what's the best way going forward, uh, the, the, her appeals to every powerful man in the building, yeah, to save her family over everybody else, like all of that takes place in the realm of one-to-one human interaction, mm. right? Uh, and and not in the grand scale of like the, the tanks and the bullets and the missiles and the and and, and the overall war. Um, mm. Which makes Kovadis uh, Ada so, so human and so, so compelling at the same yeah. time, right? Because it removes you from what our traditional ideas or, or, or visualizations of war is and bringing that 
into a very personal human realm. Yes, you know, uh, it does the same thing as nearly every of the other uh, topics that we discuss here, like, you know. Yeah. Um, to communicate the extent of the humanitarian crisis in, in Syria or in elsewhere, or in this case, a war crime like the Srebrenica massacre, which saw nearly 9,000 civilian residents, Bosnian Muslims, murdered by Bosnian Serbs in the July of 1995. It's, it's, it's so unfathomably horrific, right? Like, you can't imagine this kind of thing. Yeah. So it's important that you focus on one person, and in this case, Ada. And then you think about that one person and you multiply that tragedy by 8,372 times, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, the exponential multiplication of, of horror. Uh, and I think the most inspired creative decision in this very lightly fictionalized version of true events comes from the form of from Ada herself, you know, who is this uh, woman, uh, UN translator who has this magic task almost, you know, that allows her to go through the, these barriers that means life or death for other people, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and the way that she goes through everyone, she talks to, every, like you said, every powerful person from both sides, both the Serbian side and from the UN, uh, the Dutch-run UN base also. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that this really showcases is it truthfully, almost frankly, depicts the almost indifference or incompetence or, I don't know what the word is, imp- impotence yeah, of the impotence. United Nations, yeah. of, the, of the United Nations who just failed on every promise that they, that they, did, they, they didn't deliver any promises. Yeah. They are culpable, like not, not inadvertently, not accidentally, they are directly culpable in the massacre of 8,000 Bosnian Muslims to the point where their soldiers, the Dutch-run UN soldiers, shepherded these people onto buses that were led to, you know, killing fields or, or killing rooms, you know. Yeah. It's, it's horrific. And, and to this day, the, the Serbian government has, has denied that what happened was a massacre and it's clearly not true, like, which is what makes uh, films like Kovadis Ada very important mm-hmm. uh, to watch, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the, the scene, you know, where she's trans- where, where a bunch of people are translating with the general, right? You know, yeah. her husband and everything, you know. And then you realize that, like, the people sitting across from them are like some of them are like you know kids from a school, mm-hmm. friends from childhood. You know these are like neighbors yeah. who have been turned against each other because of racial or cultural or religious divides, and it's amazing that they that they are not amazing is the wrong word like. It's I'm incredulous that they could do this, you know, yeah. uh, to 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 their neighbors, to their friends, to their family, uh, just because they happen to be of a different religion or a different culture or a different race. Like. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, for me, I think the scene that stood out the most, and this is this is very odd and very strange. I had to take a moment mm. to kind of understand that, is when they're sitting in the office, like the the four of them, the family are sitting in the office, and yeah. uh, she asks for her husband's journal, yeah, to get rid of it, right? And yeah. he protests, saying that I've written an entry for every day of this war. This is our story. Mm-hmm. And how reluctantly he hands over that journal mm-hmm. uh, was like absolutely heartbreaking, right? Yeah. Because there in that in that book that we never get to see the contents of, right? Is is their story, you know? Yeah. Uh, what what we're seeing on screen is only a fraction of, of of the story that's supposed to be playing out, and that impacted me a lot more than I thought it would, mm-hmm. just because like the getting rid of the photos and all of that understandable I mean she has a good reason for that you know but when it came to that journal in particular and and you see the look in the father's eyes right 
as as kind of like a man of words as a uh, as a high school principal i believe you yeah. know as an academic um he understood the power of story and of words and of of you know just like archiving your experiences as a people mm-hmm. and to have to give that up uh mm-hmm. was probably the most difficult decision that he had to make in the entire story mm-hmm. you know whether or not he was giving up his place whether to follow his sons even though it meant death you know like, all of that right mm-hmm. not as difficult as him needing to give up that journal um, yes and 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 that had a, a very profound and unexpected <laughs> effect on me it was such a like small personal moment in a movie about refugees seeking refuge but unable to find refuge right yeah um, from both the you know this 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 insane shot of like thousands and thousands of people outside the UN camp begging to get inside, to even the people inside who are just like sitting in baking heat with no toilets, with no food and water and and stuff like that, you know, like these are just normal people uh, who are just who don't know what's happening. They're basically inside like an animal cage, a pig pen, you know, yeah, unknowing whether they're going to live or die, you know. And the series of escalating sort of Sophie's choices for for Ada, you know, her job is to communicate increasingly important and sometimes demonstrably false uh, and ultimately fatal UN orders to her frightened neighbors. You know, yeah. She has to relay these insane things that the UN are saying to, to people who are life or death, like, you know, uh, to, to people who are frightened that they're going to die. It's, it's crazy. It's difficult for her. She's trying to save her family at the same time. Yeah. Um, it's one of the most uh, thrilling visceral and heartbreaking movies of 2021 that mm-hmm. I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is not a case of historical revisionism. If anything, Covetus Ada works to unrevise history. It, it recenters the, the whitewashing of the Bosnian Muslim massacre mm-hmm. uh, and recenters it into the plight of the victims, you know, in a storm of just like unimaginable evil. Uh, not, not only the massacre itself, but the broader evils of institutional failure mm-hmm. and the, the, the indifference of the, the, the international community, you yeah. know? Like when the Dutch commander, who, I mean, to be fair, like the, the Dutch army here, like, not, it's not at fault. They, they were trying their best. They were trying to get uh, orders from the United Nations. And then, you know, there's that one scene where they were trying to call the Security Council. Yeah, and vacation. They were on vacation. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and like 8,000 people are about to die here and they just couldn't pick up the phone it's it's terrible it's terrible and it just goes to show that you know how complicit the un was in this but in this uh in particular and you know uh it's horrific but it's important uh and quite uh, again like all the other films and series that we've mentioned quite yeah. an urgent watch as well yeah Ah man, yeah. This this like all, all four of these were were really painful watches. But you know, um, I do feel like Covid is uh, one of my favorites of twenty twenty one so far. Yeah, it's it's riveting. It's an it's absolutely riveting watch. Uh, yeah, but with not, no with no happy ending, you know no, there's not gonna, yeah. you yeah. know there's not gonna be a happy ending. But like even to the very last second, right, you kept hoping that that her family will find a way out. You know? Yeah. You kept hoping, kept hoping, and it just it just never happened. So you know. And yeah, it's just this incredibly growing sense of powerlessness that you cannot shake yeah uh, whatsoever you know and it is it is devastating in that it, it, it's a, it, the journey of it is so devastating and so well wrought out it, mm. it's kind of crazy uh, and I'm never watching this again but I I, I I'm better for have, having watched it once 
definitely. I and the same goes for all four of these uh films and series. Um COVID is ADA available on VOD right now. Immigration Nation is available on Netflix. Uh, Persepolis is available on a variety of streaming platforms. Uh, depending on where you are, you can find it on Amazon mm-hmm. or you can find it on Netflix or, you know, it depends on, on what territory you're in. Uh, and what's the second film that we For talked summer. about? For Summer is available in Singapore on I Wonder uh, and the Projector Plus. So uh, great overall. We will be back uh, in a couple of weeks. From- yeah. Genre equality forty three, I believe. Are we yeah. at forty three already? Yes, that's right. 43. Yeah, uh, we have lots to talk about. In particular, I'll be one of our main topics, of course, is Star Wars: The Bad Batch, which Isa will be covering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be talking about Luca, uh, Disney and Pixar's latest animated feature. Yeah. Uh, one of our main topics, of course, is Sweet Tooth, which is getting a lot of hype. Uh, one of the one of the Netflix, you know, summer hits, mm. a bit like how Stranger Things was a, a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, and of course, A Quiet Place Part 2, which we were looking forward to. Um, maybe a bit disappointed with it, but we'll get, yeah, we'll get we'll, into that we'll later. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and towards the end, uh, I will be following up on Isa's Anime Corner with my own Anime Corner because I spent, if, if you don't live in Singapore, you probably won't know about the last four weeks we've been, you know, under quarantine again. Um, it's, uh, phase two heightened alert, whatever it's called. So yeah. uh, the no the no dining in uh severely like you know decreased my social activity. So I I, I stayed home. Uh-huh. I watched a lot of anime. I watched Science Gate. I watched Science Gate Zero. I watched the Science Gate movie. I watched all three seasons of Fruit Baskets. Uh, and I caught up with uh, Isis top four recommendations, which are To Your Eternity, uh, VV, Fluorite's Eye Song, Art Taxi, and Mars Red, which are all as good as Isis says. So we'll we'll get a bit deeper into that like, in the yeah. upcoming genre equality. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely, you know. Yeah. Uh, lots of other things as well. Tressie will be talking about. Mm. Record of Ragnarok. <laughs> uh, the con- the Conjuring Tree. Uh, which, as it turns out, you know, uh, saying that you were possessed is not a valid legal defense. Uh, <laughs> and also, Isa will be uh, reviewing um, a local yep. audio drama called Sacred Guardians. I have mm-hmm. no idea what it's about. Uh, we got a press release for it. So we'll, we'll, we'll catch that and, and we'll tell you what we think about it yep. uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, as always, General Equality pops up on the first of every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be recording this next week. So can't wait for that one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, again, guys, um, just a friendly reminder that we are also now mm. on YouTube. If you've got yeah. to this section of the podcast and you are listening to us on YouTube, please drop us a like, a subscribe. Uh, share yeah. it with your friends because that helps us out a lot in terms of visibility. Um, yeah, and 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 we hope it's been a, it's been a conv- convenient uh, option for you guys if you're listening to us on YouTube. Definitely, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, we will be looking into expanding our reach on other platforms as well. So stick around for some uh, news in the future. Awesome. Um, till next time. This has been Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Goodbye, guys. Ciao.